You are listening to Inclusion Evolution, a bi-weekly podcast that brings you insightful and engaging conversations on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the legal profession, the technology space, the world of sports, and our everyday. Here are your hosts, Lisa Mueller and Michael Kasdan. Welcome back to Inclusion Evolution. I'm Lisa Mueller. And I'm Michael Kasdan. Well, welcome back, Mike. We're here with another episode. And in today's episode, we're going international, which is a first time for us. And we're going to spend some time examining DEI efforts in law firms in Brazil, the U.S., and other places as well. Excellent. I'm really excited for that. And I'm excited to get a little deeper and talk about inclusion and tokenism and important topics abroad and at home. Absolutely. And to help us do that, we have a very special guest today, Vivian Coco. And Mike, do you want to tell us a little bit about Vivian? Sure. So Vivian is the Director of Marketing and Client Relations at Lix Attorneys, which is a Brazilian law firm specializing in IP litigation, prosecution, and enforcement. Uh, She has a master's degree in business management, and her research has primarily focused on people management and organizational behavior, which reflects her deep interest in understanding the dynamics of individuals within professional settings. Um, Her master's thesis delved into diversity, equity, and inclusion practices in the legal market, which we definitely want to talk about. Um, And in it, Vivian explored the motivations behind major Brazilian law firms investing in DEI initiatives. Uh, Vivian shares her insights and knowledge as a guest teacher specializing in DEI policies uh, for both master's and postgraduate classes. Um, She also publishes articles in international media outlets and provides valuable perspectives on this crucial topic. She is a member of the DEI Shared Interest Group and the Advocacy Committee of the Legal Marketing Association in the United States. And with that impressive background, welcome, Vivian. Mike and I are really excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Lisa and Mike, for this great introduction and for inviting me to the podcast. I'm really excited. Awesome. Well, it's really our pleasure. So let's get into it. Um, Vivian, you explored in your master's thesis uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion practices in the legal industry. And in particular, you focused on the motivation behind major Brazilian firms investing in DEI efforts. Um, Can you start off by sharing with us the results of your research? Sure, Mike. Uh, My research aimed to identify the main reasons uh, considering the biases of competitive advantage and social justice that led managers of large Brazilian firms uh, to invest in DEI practices. Uh, As I expected, I observed from the interviews that the competitive advantage bias stands out as the main motivator for investing in DEI practices, especially the legitimacy and image indicator, which represented more than 60% of the answers provided by partners or heads of the practice here in Brazil. This basically means that the leadership of these firms, uh, they invest in DEI practices looking to legitimate their firms in comparison to their competitors, to hire, retain talents, and also to legitimate their practices in light of clients' requests and demands concerning DEI, uh, which is pretty common here in Brazil. The other motivators that I found were 
trying to maximize results uh, with that well-known speech of obtaining an amplified or innovative approach when you have a diverse group of professionals working together and also to fulfill legal obligations. In addition, I also collected from the interviews what are the best practices adopted by the law firms here that have already started to pave their ways in the inclusion and also the main challenges they face uh, throughout this process. And regarding the challenges, gender-related matters, including the glass ceiling for women, were the main issue appointed in the interviews, followed by race-related matters. But what I realized it only after I concluded my master thesis was that both challenges had as a background the feeling that the members from these groups had of being tokenized by their firms which makes total sense uh, when I return to the main reason appointed by the research that the firms invest in DEI practices only to legitimate themselves in the market. So they use the tokenization process to achieve this goal. Yeah, I really definitely want to get back and talk more about tokenism. Um, before we do that, I just had one follow-up question because I know you're based in Brazil and that's where that was the focus of your study. Have you expanded your research beyond law firms in Brazil to law firms in the U.S. or in other places? Um, and if you have, can you tell us what you've learned to date based on that research? Yes. When I started uh, researching more about tokenization of professionals by law firms, I look at into different markets, uh, like the American market, for example. And if you look at the list of the biggest firms uh, provided by the M-Law rankings, for example, you'll find that the same firms that usually present themselves as very inclusive with great numbers of women, LGBTQ+, plus, or non-white attorneys in their groups, they have no partner from the same groups in their boards. From, in fact, I look at into each of them, and from the 10 biggest firms of the latest ranking provided by Law, only three of them have in their executive board at least one partner that is not a white man, for example. So from 10, seven only have white men in their executive boards. Also, these partners from minority groups usually lead practices that are not considered much profitable to the firm, but they help with the firm's speech of having a high number of partners from these same groups. So uh, that this is something that I'm still uh, researching. I'm still looking into it, but I, it, it was pretty clear when I started to, to look into the data provided by the firms and by the rankings and in other sources. So Vivian, I think it's pretty obvious that you're an advocate for calling out tokenism when it comes to law firms and their DEI efforts based on your research and the fact that you've expanded it outside of Brazil. So I want to take a step back and um, talk about what tokenism is and how law firms are using it as part of their DEI initiatives. So tokenism is when a law firm try to give up the appearance of being diverse and inclusive without really putting the effort on it. Uh, the firm brings someone from underrepresented groups, for example, and they proudly say, like, look, we are diverse, we invest in inclusion. But the truth is that they often don't generally value 
this person perspective, for example, don't listen their voices. Usually they use low or no impact positions at the firm to be tokenized. So everybody will remember seeing a law firm posting that they have a huge percentage of women in their partnership positions. But if you check it deeper, you will realize that those same women don't lead uh, practices that are considered important to the firm. Uh, they have minor clients and, for example, and I saw this uh, a lot in my latest research, I usually say that it's like slapping a band-aid on a much bigger problem and hoping that no one notices. That's really, it's very disturbing to both Mike and I when we hear these types of things, because, you know, we have been hoping these things have been getting better and your kind of research shows the opposite. And, you know, it's it's really problematic, it seems to me, um, because you're, you know, using tokenism and, and you're not creating an inclusive environment for these individuals. So talk a little bit more about why tokenism is so problematic for law firms. Tokenism is a problem because it's like putting on a diversity mask while you really ignore the, the issues, right? So gives you the illusion of progress, but underneath there is little to no meaningful change happening in the firms. For me, it's like, it's like a service to both the firm and the individual that are being tokenized. Undermines the whole purpose of diversity and inclusion efforts, uh, as there is no real effort to create an inclusive environment and to address deeper issues. Uh, it's frustrating because it doesn't lead to substantial progress. And at the end, you have those members that were supposed to be supported by the firms feeling worse than they felt prior to the beginning of these policies, for example. Vivian, I just want to ask, besides the U.S. and Brazil, have you looked at any other countries? Uh, yes, I look at, at uh, some countries in Europe, and the scenario is pretty similar to the one that I found in U.S. and Brazil. And I also look at, into China and Japan. Uh, and they have completely different scenarios on their own because they don't have the same, um, they, they are not at the same stage and they don't have the same feeling regarding DEI uh, practices or policies that we have here in this side of the world, for example. They have different challenges. So, But tokenism do exist in all of them, different percentages and different ways of, of happening, but but I also found that they, they have this happening in their societies as well. It strikes me when I'm listening to this, uh, the thing that comes to mind is the difference between diversity and inclusion and how you might be able to pump up your numbers so you can respond to an RFP and say, hey, we have this number of diverse attorneys but that's very different from actually, you know, take, you know, first of all, like gaining the benefits of that inclusion, inclusive community by giving those folks power and voice. Um, but it's also very different, you know, than than actually having inclusion and having them having having uh, those people be a part of the fabric of the of the power structure of the firm. And it seems to me that you know, if someone feels like they're just there. 
um, you know, to pump up the numbers and, and they don't really have a voice, um, then, you know, they're not going to stay, which is, I think, part of the reason that we've had really slow institutional change in this area. So, um, I mean, how do you think that this, I mean, I think it's great to reveal and I think it's a hard thing to get at, you know, diversity, you can look at the numbers you could say we have this many women and this many people of color, um, but you know, getting at inclusion and getting at tokenism, uh, I think, is a harder thing to to suss out. Um, so, you know, one one question is, how did you get, you know, to this to this conclusion and this data? But also, you know, how can tokenism have a bad effect on law firms? How can it damage firms' reputations? Because I think it's important to drive some of those negatives to get get folks to change behaviors. Yeah, it's true what you said. It's like, um, it feels like they started to work on the diversity uh, issue and then they stopped it there and forgot the inclusion part of the, of the process. But I, I believe that the problem, the main problem is that the inclusion agenda is receiving much more attention each and every day. Um, not only in legal market, but in general. So when a law, a law firm practices tokenism, uh, it's like waving a red flag to the world. People will catch that it's a show. I'll give you an example from Brazil. I don't remember exactly when, some months, a year ago, we had a very sad situation here that a young boy... Um, throw himself from the window of uh, one of the biggest law firms of the country uh, because he was uh, feeling bullied at the firm. The same firm is one of the firms that receives a lot of prizes, awards for their amazing diversity programs and policies. And when this happened, it was huge here, and a lot of people started to talk about, well, are they really inclusive, or are they only diverse? Yeah. What are they doing about it? And other members from the firm and uh, members that already left the firm started to talk about, well, they, it's, they are not this inclusive. They have good numbers, and that's it. Trust and credibility will go down the drain and the firm's reputation will take a hit, like happened here in this example that I said. Words spread fast when this kind of things happen. So no one wants to work with a firm that's not genuinely committed to diversity and inclusion. Uh, so the impact to the business can be huge. In this mm -hmm. case that I mentioned, we know that some of the firm's clients, they they stopped work with them. They wow, they didn't renew their contracts. Uh, it, it was a huge event. So using tokenism uh, is really dangerous and can damage the law firm reputation pretty bad. And just to follow up on that, you know, it's interesting to me that you found it to be so widespread in your research, you know, given the fact that you talked about damage to reputation, loss of clients, 
Um, and also, if you think about it, there's an investment cost, right? When you bring someone in, you're bringing that person in and, and, and you're spending time training them and, and providing them with benefits that it seems to me it would be to a law firm's disadvantage to, to practice tokenism because that person is going to leave pretty, you know, in a relatively short time versus a person who doesn't experience tokenism. So I'm curious, did you find any reasons why law firms continue to practice tokenism? Uh, well, this is the big question for yeah. me. Up to now, it's difficult to answer this question. What I believe is that some firms might do it out of, of ignorance, for example. Now, they don't really understand the impacts of this kind of actions. They don't really understand they, they are practicing tokenism because they believe that hiring people from these minority groups uh, is a great way to move forward with the inclusion agenda. They don't understand the difference between diversity and inclusion. But on the other hand, uh, there are also firms that are just complacent. They take the easy way out instead of making real change happen. So it is easy to put some fancy big percentage numbers of total hires in a social media post and show the world how inclusive you are. But the fact behind all of it is that change can be scary, of course, especially for those that are not well-versed in the team, they might feel threatened by real diversity. So those are some of the whys that I found, but I, I really don't don't have uh, an answer to that. Yeah, I'm sure it's a very, it's a complicated mix of factors. Um, and I agree, I agree with what you said there, that some of it comes from ignorance and um, but but I think you know we continue to talk about kind of the power and and the upside and the benefit um, you know of inclusion uh, for so many reasons and I think there's a lot of good research and science behind that and um, so we hope to continue you know to do that and that, that that you know that we keep getting change and hopefully at a faster pace um, but you know in that regard sort of shifting to the what can we do about it kind of thing you know if if you have a law firm. Um, that says like, hey, we recognize this, you know, we don't want to do diversity and inclusion in, oh, in in this manner where it's, where it's just tokenism. We want real inclusion. Um, can you talk about some strategies that law firms can use to help them um, overcome tokenism and, and get to, to real inclusion? Yeah. Um, first thing that I want to talk about it is that when we start to talk about diversity and inclusion, uh, we need to realize that we are talking about human beings. So we tend to use a lot of data, which is great. I love data. I love analytics. But uh, data is not the only way to measure your efforts on DEI, you need to talk to people, you need to look at the at them and say, well, uh, what do you think? Is that uh, something that it you feel it's changing something? You feel that uh, you are supported or not? And so uh, I believe that this law firms are lacking this attitude of looking 
at the at diversity and inclusion in a more human way. Uh, saying that, uh, there is there are also other ways to try to break free from tokenism, uh, like encouraging mentorship programs uh, for members of those groups. Uh, this is a way of making it more human to put uh, other people in direct contact with them and try to, to help them move move on, help them to reach higher positions in the firm, lift them up, uh, guide them, providing real chances to grow and excel. Uh, another good idea is to be transparent and objective uh, regarding your promotion guidelines, ensuring that everyone can be evaluated uh, based on their hard work, for example, leaving no space for hidden agendas, favoritism, biases in general. And in fact, this is one of the main complaints I hear when I talk to people while I'm researching the subject. Uh, people usually say, well, I was hired, which is good, but the once I'm here, I have no idea what is going on. I don't wow. know what are their what are the promotion guidelines, why I'm not being promoted to a better position, why the other partner was promoted to those positions. Is it because I, I'm not working hard enough? Is it, is it because I lack some technical skill or what is happening? So uh, people really complain about it. And, it. and maybe it is not the case. Maybe the firm has no biases and maybe it is because they have a good reason. But once you are not transparent on it, people can think whatever they they can. You know, they, they can think like, well, it's because I'm a woman. It's because I'm LGBTQ plus. It's because I'm black. It's wh what is the reason why you, you don't have, what is that, what are, the guidelines here. So this is really important. And uh, usually law firms don't have that. This uh, is important to, to tell. I know that I said that we need to uh, look at people in a humanized way, not on a data way, but we can use data analytics as a driver of DI progress. Um, data can help avoid the biases, To can help to identify areas in the law firm that need improvement, uh, measures the impacts of your diversity and inclusion efforts. So having uh, a good way to, to analyze your data is also important and can, can help you avoid tokenism. Those are some examples uh, that I thought, of course, uh, we can, depending on the scenario of each law firm, we can have different uh, opportunities, different ways to avoid tokenism, to promote inclusion, and that's it. Yeah, no, appreciate all those examples, and and really appreciate the work that you've done to take a look at this issue because it does require diving down and talking to people and seeing um, how they feel. Um, and I think to do that work, um, you know, on a scale. Um, where we do now have, thanks to you, data about this um, and can get it in front of people and, and push for change, I think is a really, really important thing. So thank you so much for your work and for coming on the show. And I think that's all the time we have for this week's episode. So 
Lisa and I will catch you next time on Inclusion Evolution. Thank you for listening to Inclusion Evolution. The views expressed during this podcast are solely those of the hosts and not of their respective law firms. Share your thoughts with us by emailing us at llmuller at casimerjones.com or mkasdan at wigan.com.